Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Aaron, can I ask you to try something that might be a little difficult? Sure. So I was hoping you could describe the New York City mayoral race in one sentence with the caveat that run-on sentences are allowed. So, for example, as someone watching from the outside, my description would be Andrew Yang is running but probably won't win but could win and the whole thing seems like a hot mess to me. Um, what, what would be your description? I would say it's a huge field and nobody knows what's going to happen. Andrew Yang is running but he's among... Four, five, maybe, candidates who are viable and could potentially win. Um, And the hot mess part sounds pretty correct. (laughs) I love it. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I'm Erin Durkin. I'm a reporter for Politico New York and the co-author of New York Playbook. Erin Durkin, with The New Yorker's Guide to the Race to Become New York City's Next Mayor. And why the whole thing... It's turning out to be a hot mess. So we've got eight major Democrats who are running to replace Mayor Bill de Blasio, who is uh, leaving office due to term limits. Uh Um, And the leading contenders include Andrew Yang, uh, who ran for president and probably has the highest name recognition, at least nationally, for that reason. So the question is, if our government's not working for us, who is it working for? And so many voters see that I represent a chance to truly turn the page. I am so grateful. He was the front runner for quite some time in all the polls, but he's basically been caught by Eric Adams, Hmm. who is the Brooklyn Borough president. And the two of them have have sort of traded off the top spot. Uh, You left the city during a very difficult time. Uh, You did not vote in municipal elections at all. Uh, I just don't know. How the hell do we have you become our mayor with this record like this? How do you go? in a diverse city like this. Recently, there's been a surge by Catherine Garcia. She's the former sanitation commissioner. Uh, I I invite anyone on this stage to talk about track records because I actually have one. No one on this stage did more than during the pandemic back in March and April and May when things were really dire to keep this city going. And she has been in the top three in recent polls after being endorsed by the New York Times. Mm -hmm. The three of them are all relatively moderate. Um, When you look at who's running in the more progressive lane, um, you have Maya Wiley. This is a crossroads, and it is one that requires courage, not for caretaking management. I am going to have the courage to confront the bureaucracy, to confront developers, to confront the NYPD. Who just in the last couple of days has consolidated a lot of support uh, from the left. On Saturday, she was endorsed by uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We have an option of a candidate who can center people, racial justice, economic justice, and climate justice. That didn't just come up to run for mayor. And you've got Scott Stringer, who for a long time was kind of the progressive establishment candidate, but has been accused of sexual misconduct now by two women. Five weeks ago, Scott Stringer's once promising mayoral campaign was rocked by charges made by a campaign volunteer that he sexually harassed her. Now another woman has come forward, Teresa Logan, telling the New York Times that when she worked at his bar Uptown Local in 1992, quote, he groped her as she carried trays, making unwanted sexual advances. That is probably the top of the field. The rest of the eight major Democrats um, 
Ray McGuire, a former Citibank uh, executive who tried to run as sort of a, a the, the business candidate, um, but hasn't picked up a ton of traction. Sean Donovan, the former HUD secretary, and uh, Diane Morales, a former nonprofit executive who was liked by a lot on the left, um, took sort of the furthest left positions in the race, uh, but has been rocked by a scandal involving her campaign staff uh, trying to unionize. Our future. Our future. The goal of this union and this collective is not to tear down. It is not to end the Morales bid. And that has been, in her own words, um, a beautiful mess. So her campaign has kind of imploded due to that. It's worth noting that the top leading candidates at this point seem to have been the moderates, hmm. um, which is different than, you know, a lot of people might have predicted with all of this uh, progressive energy. Yeah. There's been a lot of attention given to people on the left, activists on the left, obviously Ocasio-Cortez's victory. But it's a big city. You know, there are a handful of neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Western Queens where that is the dominant point of view. But there's also, you know, Southeast Queens where you have a lot of uh, black middle class homeowners who have a different set of concerns. Uh-huh. You know, there's also the Upper West Side where you have a lot of sort of old school classical liberals. And there are a million other neighborhoods I could list off that are rich with votes um, that are not those voters are not necessarily the people who have who have gotten all this attention. So you have this situation where three more moderate candidates, Catherine Garcia, Eric Adams and Andrew Yang, are emerging towards the top. And then on the left, you have support kind of coalescing around Maya Wiley, particularly after two of her opponents have been hit with two very different kinds of scandals. Um, on top of that, This is also New York's first year ever using ranked choice voting in the mayoral race, which I'm just going to take a quick second to explain, if that's cool. Sure. So ranked choice voting is already used in some other cities, including San Francisco, and the specifics of it are a little messy. In New York, the way it works is you don't just pick one candidate, but also your second, third, fourth, and fifth choice. If one candidate happens to get more than 50% of first choice votes, they win. Hands down. It's over. But if not, then you have a series of mini-elections, where first, the candidate in last place when you count up all those first-choice votes is eliminated. So yeah, bummer for that candidate. But then, all of the ballots that previously went to that candidate that's just been eliminated are redistributed to the remaining candidates based on who is the next choice for mayor on each person's ballot. This process goes on and on. Many elections keep going over and over, with one candidate being eliminated every time until there are just two candidates left. And then, and only then, when there are just two candidates left, does the person with the most votes win. Okay, so this is the first year New York's doing ranked choice voting. Aaron... This race is already a hot mess, like we talked about. Um, You add in this complicated system of voting. How do you think that could affect things on June 22nd when people vote? Like, how will ranked choice play in to the end result? 
There are many ways that it could work out. Mm-hmm. If you want to take a very rationalist approach, it's like, yeah, you know, if you're a moderate, you're going to rank all the moderates before you'll rank the progressives and vice versa. Um, but from talking with voters and just sort of seeing different people's preferences, it's not always that clear cut. Um, you know, part of this is preferences in terms of candidates' qualifications, in terms of their experience, in terms of just their political persona and what type of mayor you want. You know, even though Yang, Adams, and Garcia all have fairly similar policy positions, they're very different candidates. Yang is sort of this newcomer to city politics. He's gotten a lot of grief. You know, he's never voted in a mayoral election before. Uh Um, But at the same time, he's, you know, gained some national prominence um, for his universal basic income idea. You know, you've got Eric Adams, who's a former NYPD cop, who's sort of a very like bombastic, colorful personality in city politics for a long time. Um, you know, for better and for worse, depending on your, your position. And then you've got Catherine Garcia, who's sort of the very, um, is running on her management chops, you know, has been a go-to crisis manager, mm-hmm. you know, is sort of the all business, um, no scandals so far candidate. And so, Whatever your positions might be ideologically, those are three very different candidates. And then the same is true for candidates across the ideological uh, spectrum. Mm. Watching this race from the outside, just coverage wise, I feel like we hear a lot about Yang um, and, you know, kind of think about these candidates as like celebrity personalities in a way, you know, watching them go around the city, going to events, eating food. But at the end of of the day, these are people who want to lead America's biggest city. When it comes to the issues that one of these candidates will, you know, end up facing in office, what is it that voters are thinking about? Like, what could it be that really decides the outcome of this race? Public safety and crime have come to be a a dominant factor in the race to an extent that may not have been predicted, you know, a while ago, in part because there's been a big spike in shootings. So that's been a real concern. Mm. I mean, I think the overwhelming thing that people are worried about is recovery from the pandemic. And that really touches every area of, of policy from, you know, the economy, public safety, education, you know, transportation and safe streets, um, all of those things, you know, have been really overturned by what the city went through from the pandemic. And so it's that, but that plays itself out in, in every issue area. Aaron Durkin, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Also today, the White House briefing room is set to return to full seating capacity this week. The White House Correspondents Association announced the change on Sunday, saying they'll also reintroduce a pre-pandemic seating chart for the briefing room, featuring a front row of reporters from outlets including NBC, Fox News, CBS News, The Associated Press, ABC News, Reuters, and CNN. In addition, press capacity limitations on the White House grounds, including on the North Lawn and in indoor press workspaces, will return to 100%. But journalists will continue to be required to be tested or display proof of an eligible negative test before entering the White House complex. And 
Senator Joe Manchin says he has, quote, all the confidence in the world that the White House and Senate Republicans can reach a compromise on a bipartisan infrastructure package in the coming days, despite setbacks and talks between President Biden and the GOP's lead negotiator, Senator Shelley Moore Capito. Speaking to Fox News over the weekend, Manchin said, quote, they're working hard trying to find a compromise that they've come a long way and are moving in the right direction. Manchin is perhaps the most crucial Senate Democrat to the success of Biden's legislative agenda, and his remarks came after the president last Friday rejected a revised counteroffer from Capito, who increased Senate Republicans' previous proposal of $257 billion in new spending by roughly $50 billion. This episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.